Have you ever wanted to be famous? Have your name on the Hollywood Walk of Stars? There's a Hall of Fame for everything. Maybe for you it was the Hockey Hall of Fame or baseball, an Academy Award, an Oscar. We um, have a lot of people we look up to that are famous and that we admire. Most of us maybe would say, well, I really didn't aim that high. But most of us, I think, wrestle with what other people think of us. Now we have apps to measure how many friends we have, or how many likes, or how many followers. And people can obsess over that number if it's going down instead of going up, or if your friend next to you has more likes than you do, or more friends than you, oh, then people like you better than me. We struggle with that. And what people think and the cheer of the crowd. In ancient Rome, a gladiator would survive or be killed based on the roar of the crowd. Not just in winning, but if they were wounded and would they be spared, it would depend on how many people would cheer for them. And if enough cheered for them, they would be spared to live another day. In some ways, we live in a similar world, don't we? In the cheers of the crowd and what people think of us and how popular we are. Which brings us to our last counterfeit God, our last idol that we want to talk about in this series, and that is popularity. What do people think of me? Do I have people's approval? Did I do it the right way? And the right way is defined by how people react. Whether they nod their head or they shake their head. And it was like, oh, rats, I did it wrong. Not whether if it was actually right or wrong, but in what people think. Have I achieved that position where people look up to me, where people want to be me, where I'm in the cool crowd? That's very powerful for us, isn't it? Because then we say, I'm not a failure. I have worth because people like me. This thing of popularity I put in the category of a counterfeit God because, as with the other gods, it isn't real. And by that I mean it can't deliver on all that it promises us. Even though we may believe it does, we act like it does, in reality, if we scratch deep enough, it will always fail us. It will fail us because we know popularity is temporary. We've all experienced that. This spring I'm in the in crowd and by summer I'm out. What happened? We watch this now on the news and, and in the social world is just amazing to me. You can be at the height of your career and you make one comment. You're done. Maybe an innocent mistake, you're done. Fame and popularity is like water in our hands. No matter how much we try and hold it, no matter how hard we cup it, it drips away. It doesn't last. Look at Jesus' life. He's an illustration of this principle. Think of, his, think of Holy Week. 
And on Palm Sunday, he walks into Jerusalem in a parade that is cheering King of the Jews, Son of David, Messiah. And they're cutting off palm fronds and spreading them in the roads so even the feet of his donkey doesn't touch the dirt. And by Thursday, the same crowds of Jerusalem are cheering, crucify him. That's how popularity is, isn't it? You see, popularity doesn't measure our real worth. And that's what we forget. That's what we miss when we, when we worship at this God. Crowds are fickle. Crowds cheer for sometimes all the wrong reasons. Sometimes they cheer for idiots who are making fools of themselves and they cheer. History is full of examples where crowds have cheered for dictators and the worst tyrants imaginable. And yet we see story after story of these enormous crowds, seas of faces, chanting the name of some tyrant. They were popular. That didn't mean they had worth. Before you worship at this idol, there are some things that we need to think about. Before we allow ourselves to be sucked into a culture which today very much says what people think is everything. And we all get drawn into it. I get drawn into it. It is a constant battle for the lure of this idol. What will people say? What will my friends think? What will they say at work? What will the neighbors think? What will the other soccer parents think? And we're constantly using that measuring stick for our lives. But before we do that, I want you to see a different perspective because it doesn't have to be that way. And fortunately, we have an example in Scripture of someone who was able to rise above that and use a different ruler for his life. I say that because this is what he said. It really doesn't matter to me what you think of me. And I don't know about you, but there's the moments that I'm wrestling with what people think. What's the church going to think? What are my friends going to think? And I read these words and I say, how in the world could he say that? How could he reach that point in his life where he could say, I am no longer controlled by what will people think? I want us to try and unpack that today and see how the Apostle Paul could say that because he's the one who said that and he said it over in first corinthians 4 if you want to look there i i want to read the passage he begins by saying i care very little if i am judged by you or be any human court that's pretty amazing and the words he's using there is i don't care how you evaluate me how you measure me, and I really don't care how other people measure me. But stay with Paul, because it's not that he is some egotist. I do not even evaluate myself. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. It is the Lord who evaluates me. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time, Wait until the Lord comes. 
He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness and will expose the motives of, that, of the heart. At that time, each will receive their praise from God. Notice how Paul reached the point he was at. The reach the point where he could say, what you think uh, isn't what matters to me, that's not what's primary for me. But what I think of myself doesn't really matter either. And what he says at the end, it doesn't matter because, because I've come to realize, Paul said, what really matters is, what does God think of me? That's what matters. And that is so important, all these other opinions of me are insignificant because what God thinks of me is what is of primary importance. It's the only thing that matters. That God would say, Paul, you're my son, I love you. Paul, good job. Paul, I appreciate what you did for me. Or, or Paul, I, even though you messed up, I know you're trying. And you did your best. That's what Paul wanted to hear, and he wanted to hear from his heavenly Father. You see, Paul understood there is only one opinion that really matters, and that is God's opinion of us. Not the crowd, not other humans, not opinions based on what's in style or what's current or what's trending today, not by how many friends I have in Facebook. And it isn't even matter what we think of ourselves. It is God's opinion that counts. Because He is the one who will evaluate our lives. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 5, We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. That's why God's opinion matters so much. He is the one who will evaluate our lives. Not the crowd at work, not the other moms on the ball team. No, it's what God evaluates us that matters. But it's not only because God is judge. I believe it is only God's opinion that matters because only God is truly wise and good. We all know there are groups that we can please, we can be evaluated for them by doing something totally stupid and wasteful. But that's what they all think is good. So, of course, they say, good job. And somebody else looking on say, oh, you poor thing. Why did you do that? But you see, God's ruler is always going to be the right ruler. The yardstick. Because God is good and he is wise and he knows exactly what's good. And that's another reason we want to please him. Because he's always using the right standard of what is truly good. But I think there's a third reason why it is God's opinion that matters. Not only because He is the judge who will evaluate all of us. And because He is wise and good. But the third reason is because God evaluates us out of a perfect love. He doesn't evaluate us out of, you scratch my back, I'll scratch your back. Well, I better evaluate you well so you'll evaluate me well. God doesn't have to get in any of that. But what he does come from is a total goodness. He cares about us. And God's evaluation doesn't, uh, we don't have to earn his love. We have his love. We don't have to be good enough to have his love. 
He just cares for us. It doesn't mean his opinion of us is less important. Who do you want to please the most? Yeah, we might want to please a boss, but I think most of us would say the number one person I want to please is the person who loves me the most deeply. The person who has done so much for me with their life. In a hurry, in a knee-jerk reaction, I might want to please the crowd, but when it all comes down and they look me in the eyes, the person I want to please the most is the one who has loved me the most. Who has done so much for me, and that's God. He loves us with a perfect love. It is not conditioned on us earning His love. And He has loved us so much, He was willing to ask His own Son to die. As Christ, He was willing to die on the cross for us. Does what He think matters? A God who loves like that, I think most of us would say, yeah, I want to please Him. Look at all that He's done for me. I want to look at one other passage where Paul talks about this. I put the heading is how Paul lived this out. Because it's one thing to say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. But yeah, Paul, how would you really do that? What perspective allowed you to get to that point where you could set aside what everybody thought? Because that is a powerful thing. Well, he writes about it in Philippians. Uh, let me begin chapter 3, verse 7. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. In fact, I haven't just lost them. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but a righteousness that is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. Now I want you to understand a little bit about Paul as he writes this. Because what he has just said there are really uh, amazing words. We know quite a bit about Paul. We know he grew up in what is now modern Turkey. But we also know as a young man, he was privileged to be accepted and study in Jerusalem Seminary. That's my translation. But that tells us something about Paul. Paul probably grew up in a very comfortable home. Paul was probably relatively wealthy, or his family was to be able to afford to send him to Jerusalem for years of study. So he grew up in a very comfortable life, and then he goes to Jerusalem, which was the top place to study religion, Judaism, in the world. And he is not only accepted there, we know that he excelled there. We're talking the top of his class, the valedictorian, the one everybody wanted to be. <clears throat> Paul was good at Judaism. And he was good at keeping the rules and obeying the law. He was at the top of his class, and not just educationally, but after school. 
He was working with the Sanhedrin. He was working with the high priest. He was in that crowd. He had achieved success in every way. And yet something happened in Paul's life when he met Jesus Christ that caused him to look at everything that he had based his life on. All the yardsticks, whether that is wealth and comfort, whether it is success in education, whether it is career success, any yardstick you want to use, he had it. And even with all of that approval, he said, when I see Jesus and what he offers me, this is garbage. All this approval of all these people and all these yardsticks, they're kindling, burn up those yardsticks, they're worthless. And one of the things he tells us is because you can measure up in all those yardsticks and have nothing. He says, the law won't work. I've tried it and I've been successful at it and it still won't work. He said, but I did find what will work and that is Jesus Christ. Because in Jesus Christ, I have found a righteousness that I never could attain with all those yardsticks. An acceptance and a forgiveness and a worth that is mine because Christ gave it to me because of faith. And he said, this is so much better. I will gladly forget all of that. Because all of those yardsticks and all of those measurements of people and trying to be accepted will never get me where I want to be, where I need to be, where I have worth. And I know that I am of value. And I am accepted and I am loved. And that's not going to be a question mark tomorrow if people unfriend me. Or a question mark in two days if I say something wrong and make a mistake. I don't face that in Jesus. Because in Jesus, I have found a righteousness that is perfect, and it is mine because of faith. And that's what is offered to every one of us. And it is so much better than the God of popularity that will come and go and is as fickle as any God. We are offered in Jesus His righteousness. He says, if you are willing to die, let me wash away your sins. Be buried and let me raise you to new life with my righteousness applied to you because of faith. Because you were willing to say, Christ, I want you as my Savior. Christ, I want you as my Lord. I will die that I might have you. Do you have that righteousness today or are you still worshiping at that idol? The way to break that idol down, the way to shatter it like the idol in that picture, is to realize you're not powerful, you're a fake. I want the status that comes from Jesus loving me. From Jesus reaching down his hand and saying, come, follow me, come, be one of my disciples. And he says that to every one of you.
As we close today, I would ask you to consider that. Do you have that righteousness? If you don't, I hope before you leave today, you will talk with someone about that. We're going to have somebody back in the library. Joe and Nancy are going to be there. And if you have never accepted Christ as your Savior, if you've never stood up and said, Jesus, I want you as my Lord, His righteousness is waiting for you. Please stop and talk with one of them. That you might know what Paul found, which is of more value than everything else. It makes it look like garbage to know Jesus. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your truth. Thank you for men like Paul who are examples for us of a better way to live. Exposing the, the falsehood, the emptiness of popularity and what people think. But showing us that we can have a, a status, a worth, a security, a value because of Jesus. And Father, if you have been touching people's hearts and working on them, maybe today is the day that they need to finally accept that offer of yours to come and to die and accept Christ, that he might be their Savior and Lord. And for all of us, Father, help us, like Paul, to keep our eyes on Jesus, not the crowd, that he might look at us and smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. I ask this in his name. Amen.